You're listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast, discussing all aspects of precision and long-range rifle shooting. This episode is brought to you by Impact Dynamics, advanced training for the precision shooter. And now, over to your hosts. Hello and welcome to the Precision Shooting Podcast. This is episode number 32, and uh, on Skype I've got Damo. Damo, how you going? Awesome, man. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Nah, no, no problem at all. Now, Damo uh, joins us. Uh, Damo actually works for Tasco, who are the Bushnell agents here in Australia. How long have you been doing that for, mate? Uh, a couple of years now, man. Yeah, started yeah. Uh, October 14. So. Yeah, okay, yeah. cool. And, and enjoying it? Yeah, love it. Yeah, yeah it's great nice. Excellent. And so you, from, from your email, your title is Firearms Coordinator. Now, that probably is one of those job titles that sounds cooler than it actually is. I'm guessing. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but I, I just basically look after all the um, all the firearms that uh, that come into the country. Um, you know, yep. obviously my background's long range shooting, but uh, yeah, it, it's definitely uh, a, a cooler title than what it really is. <laughs> yeah, nice. We, we've all got those, and um, I guess that's the reason a reason we wanted to chat to you on the show because your your background or your interest is in long range shooting, and and now you're working for a yep. company that do have some products. That are actually really relevant to that um, to that area. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pick your brains on a couple of things um, with uh, with some stuff because I've run some bushnell stuff myself and I know plenty of guys do and they certainly represent a point in the market that works really well. Yeah. So we got some shooting stories to get from you. What you've been doing recently, uh, but just before we get into that, I guess um, you from a bushnell perspective, um, you, you got a handful of products that are really focused on the long range shooting. What sort of stuff? Yeah, man. So um, pretty much, uh, you know, the, the more mainstream ones are the um, the Elite Tactical line of um, rifle scopes. So basically, the Elite Tactical start um, from kind of the just the one-inch tube variants all the way up to the, the big 34mm uh, main tubes with, with huge amounts of elevation and stuff like that. Yeah. I guess the thing that kind of flagged me towards Bushnell at the start was just because of the... Um, you know the the high end scopes that they do, which are like a real night force and vortex competitor, um, yep. and the reticle options that were available with the scopes. Um, so that was one thing. Uh, at the time, they were the only uh, company on the market that was doing a rangefinder that was capable of uh, sixteen hundred yards and now a mile that was sub, you know, kind of three grand. Um, yeah. So yep. that was another thing that got me into it, and as well as you know, um, with the uh, the fusion. Uh, one mile binos now as well, which are a great thing, and that's all kind of uh, morphed into the uh, the newer products like the uh, the Connex uh, one mile range finder, which has the uh, the Bluetooth compatibility with the Kestrel, which is a huge thing. Yeah, sweet. Have you have you been running one of those? Yeah, man, I've um, I've been running it for a little while now. Um, I was uh, lucky enough to get uh, given a Kestrel fifty seven hundred AB, one of the elite models that you can drag scale factor with. Yeah, and nice. um, I thought I would uh, confirm uh, if it uh, was actually compatible with the Connex Rainfinder. And, um, yeah, thankfully uh, it is. And, and basically what happens when you connect the Rainfinder to the Kestrel unit is that when you uh, laser a target, when you ping off a target, um, it actually gives you your firing solution uh, straight into the Kestrel. So the Kestrel automatically yeah. picks up the distance. Um, and obviously all the atmospherics are taken um, into account. 
and uh, you get a firing solution straight away on your Kestrel. But the other cool thing is um, if you know what's going on with the wind um, and you've got a, a quick wind formula or a short wind formula, um, it actually gives you your elevation hold in the rangefinder itself, which is really yeah. cool. So, you know, you might laser something and it says 9.4 mils and you know you went for a good shoot, which is really cool. Yeah, well, we, we uh, had that set up when we went up to the Flinders, Greg, because, uh, well, Moneybags Greg has bought that sort of setup and he, um, yeah. he was using it and using it really uh, effectively. We had some... Uh, teething problems that were more our fault than the the equipment. Once we worked out what they were, um, yeah. they yeah, that was a really effective, quick way of, of doing things. Have you have you yeah. found that Codex rangefinder get out a fair way, distance wise? Yeah, I mean, um, the thing is with all rangefinders are subset like susceptible to atmospherics. Yeah. The thing is, obviously, with the with the cheaper units, um, because they don't have a lot of um, I guess, uh, internal guards that deflect, um, you know, lots of different types of interference. You'll find on, like, a really hot day, uh, the rangefinder won't get its maximum performance. Um, But I've got readings to 1,600 metres with mine pretty frequently at, um, like, a bunch of targets we've got set up at the farm. Uh, Funnily enough, the times when I was getting uh, 1,600 metre readings is when I was actually lasering rocks, not reflective targets. Yeah, uh, right. but still, obviously, the rocks are relatively reflective. Yeah. But yeah. what I have found is that, yeah, for sure, on a really hot day, they they kind of um, get limited a little bit more. Like you, you might be pushing to get fourteen, fifteen hundred meters, um, but once it starts to cool down, you can get some really good readings. And especially if you're using it to um, ascertain the range of some targets that you've set up, well, once you laser them once and, and get your target distances, then it's sweet. Yeah, but, good to go. Um, yeah. Yeah. More interestingly, though, what I found is the um, the Fusion One Mile Bonos, although they don't have the uh, Bluetooth um, compatibility with the uh, with the Kestrel, their performance is significantly more. I've um, actually managed to get a couple of ratings really close to two thousand with the um, with the Binos, which is uh, pretty impressive. Yeah. Wow. I've I've got a set of those Binos um, also, and they are yeah they are really consistent with the measurements I've found anyway. I um, did throw mm. them up years ago against uh, Andrews Victronics, and I think at six, uh, 1,550 yep. yards, they were one yard out, which um, which I yeah. thought was pretty good uh, un- until he turned around to the uh, other angle and ranged something three kilometres away. And Anyway, I just had to pack up at that point. Yeah. But, you know, within what the they're Victronics actually... The Victronics are amazing, man. <laughs> they're also about sort of seven or eight times the price, though. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, you, you get what you pay for, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah, and and you know, down, out to that sort of mile mark, they're, they've been quite consistent. But although I have found, yeah. although this is pretty true on most um, most rangefinders, that the battery li- uh, the, the batteries, how how new the batteries are, will affect it. For sure. Yep, yeah. Yeah. Excellent, mate. Well, the, um, and and the Kestrel that you've been playing with has that been as as good as sort of Greg's telling me, and as everyone's. Sort of referring to, <laughs> I would uh, I would describe it as life changing. The uh, the Kestrel, <laughs> um, even I actually had the old uh, forty five hundred AB, which um, yep. which just has the the smaller screen. It's a little bit harder to use. Um, I'm not a real techie kind of person, but the the interface uh, is harder to work with. Yeah, um, with the fifty seven hundred, um, it's amazing. I've actually got applied ballistics um, on my phone as well. 
And yep. I just, I, I even bought an Android phone to use applied ballistics uh, as well. So yep. I, uh, I've actually gone from using all of those to just the Kestrel now for everything, even if I just want to um, want to test out uh, wind deflection for a, a particular bullet um, at a predicted, like a predicted velocity, just to, to see if it'll be worthwhile shooting. Just plug it straight into the Kestrel. Um, but the the best thing is with the new Kestrel is that you can download the uh, the app that actually allows you to upload all the profiles onto your phone. And yeah, the coolest nice. thing about that is that you don't have to, one, go and sit at your computer and do it. But the other thing is it has all the Brian Litz uh, custom BCs that are measured uh, input straight into the app. So you can just choose the bullet, choose a custom BC, uh, and uh, and load it straight onto the Kestrel. Uh, so there's no um, there's no downtime, I guess, with it, which is which is makes it an awesome system. Yeah, because that's all all the custom drag curves, isn't it? Rather than just actually the the BCs. Yeah, which I mean curve. is not the the be all and end all, but if you're shooting out, uh, you know, past subsonic or, or into subsonic, should I say? Um, yeah then, you know, that's where the, those custom drag curves really come into uh, into effect. And, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, why wouldn't you use them if you have access to it? So. Absolutely. And on AB, they're, they're only a couple of bucks, but if they're included yep. in the Kestrel. That's, that's yep. interesting that you say that your Kestrels re- sort of pretty much replace your usage of AB elsewhere. Yeah, um, absolutely. Because that's always been a concern for me you look at it you know i got a, a seven inch tablet that i use for ab and it um it's great you can see a whole heap of information at once all that sort of gear, gear so but and i've always been cautious about changing over the kestrel for that purpose a little bit more limited but perhaps not yeah i mean honestly i've never i don't have a tablet so i've never tried the ab stuff on a tablet um but the thing okay. is with the kestrel as well you'd want to use it because they're worth a lot of money and uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's good to get the most out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one thing I did see on the Kestrel, which I'm I'm pretty jealous of, is um, when you're putting your muzzle variation um, temperature um, uh, temperature wise in, you can actually put in five different reference points for your your variation yeah. in your burn rate or in your um, muzzle velocity. Yeah, I think the hardest thing is trying to actually uh, be precise about exactly what temperature your ammo is when you. Uh, when you shoot it and controlling that temperature while you try and uh, develop those inputs. But, but yeah, there's certainly some good reference points there, and um, hopefully that makes things a bit more accurate. Yeah, absolutely. Every, everything's going to help, eh? Yeah. Yeah, nice. And so um, now you mentioned before about the reticles. Uh, I'm yeah, keen to hear your thoughts because obviously you're talking about the Horace reticles for some of it. Yep. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I started off... Um, that's actually what got me into the, the Bushnell scopes, uh, probably about far out, must have been six or seven years ago now, uh, when the first four and a half to uh, 30 came out with the uh, Horace 59. And yep, which is what that I've was got. Right a, yeah, uh, and that was right about the time the, the first accuracy first DVD came out, the Art of the Precision Rifle DVD. Yeah, the one from Maple. Uh, yep. Yeah, yeah, correct. And um, that's when Todd Hodnett was... Um, you know, uh, explaining the benefits of that particular reticle. So as soon as I saw that scope come out, uh, Chris, uh, who's now the director of TASCO, um, at the time he had a, one as a sample. It was actually the first one ever in Australia. It doesn't even have any of the Bushnell markings on it. It's a, it's a full prototype. And yeah, uh, right. he was nice enough to, to give that to me. And, um, yeah, ever since then I've been hooked with the Horace reticles. Um, I've got quite a few. Uh, scopes with Horace reticles in them now, um, going from the H59s up to 
um, now really um, getting into the Tremor 3 radical, which is okay. yep. basically just an H59 uh, and a Tremor 2 radical. Um, that's, uh, so, so basically, it's an H59 radical uh, with the addition of uh, the time of flight wind dots in there, which, um, which you can get to perfect match for, for really any gun whatsoever. And, um, yeah, I, I just think it's a fantastic system. Yeah, nice. Nice. And so that sort of the, the um, Tremor 2 has those time of flight wind dots, am I correct? Yeah, the Tremor 2 does. Um, yep. it, it's a slightly different aesthetic, I guess. Um, okay. You've got the, um, if you're talking uh, four mile an hour dots, you've got your four, eight and 12 mile an hour dot. And then the 16 mile an hour uh, mark becomes a cross. Uh, yep. which I actually find really cool. Uh, that'd be great um, if that was in the Tremor 3 like that. It's a, I find it a little bit cleaner. Um, okay. But uh, I also really like the um, the extended, like the 0.2 sub-tensions on the windage on the Tremor 3, whereas the Tremor 2 really doesn't have um, the, the 0.2 sub-tensions on the windage. So mm. if you do want to revert back to a uh, to a formula for some reason, if you're um, you know, working on a, on a wind formula for a 308 or whatever, um, and you uh, want to use the subtensions in the reticle instead of the time of flight dots, then you know you can do that. Um, yeah. So nice. yeah, for me that's a that's a good bonus of the um, the Tremor three. I know we we hear a lot about the Horace reticles that um, people look at them and they think sort of initially, oh, it's too busy. I can't see through it. I, c- I couldn't see what my target is. Well, yeah. Obviously, you've, you would have encountered that at some point, one with your job and with other people looking through your your scope. I'm guessing. <laughs> I what, think. What's your um, thoughts? Really, the only people that ever seem to agree with me on the uh, on the Horace radical uh, thing is the military guys. But uh, but honestly, man, I, I I understand what people are saying with the with the Horace radicals and all. Oh, they're so busy and they're super cluttered. But what I've always said to people is, when you spend a bit of time behind one, you'll find that you really only focus on one very small part of the radical. You're yeah. not looking at a whole radical overlaid on your target. You know, you you might be looking at a yeah, a couple of mils max worth of um, reticle occupied by the target. And, mm-hmm. you know, within that, you've got your point two subtensions and you can just be so precise. Um, that, to me, is is awesome for a number of reasons. Um, one, because you don't have to dial your turrets. Um, even when I shoot F-class now, I don't dial my turrets at all, yeah. um, especially my windage. Um, but the other thing is, as well, if, you, if you're truing for muzzle velocity um, or anything like that, you can use the reticle to hold. And keep in mind that, like, a reticle, a glass reticle is um, is etched within half a percentage point um, for accuracy, yeah. whereas you might find, even on a super, super high-end scope, uh, you might have a much larger uh, error with your turrets. Yeah. And so if you haven't actually got around to tracking or track testing your turrets, um, you can true your muzzle velocity super precisely just by using the reticle. And, um, yeah, just there's, there's more reasons, but I, I think it's just a fantastic system. Yeah, no, nice, man. He's, uh, the, the guys who, I, um, who I've speak, spoken to and, and do really support the Horace style of reticle um, are the guys who are actively using them consistently and, and have made the decision yeah. to, to learn how to make it work and then making it work. Yeah. That the guys I've seen who have been put off by them usually um, have sort of tried to make it work and then haven't 
quite either figured it out or sort of prefer the other way and and haven't really given it the huge amount of time it does take to set it up well yeah yeah for sure and and i know plenty of shooters who are infinitely better than what i am uh that run uh much more simplified reticles or or, or reticles that are a lot less cluttered i guess i hate that term but a a lot less cluttered (laughs) and um yeah they make it work fine too i just find with the horus reticles uh for me it's easy it's just easy and it works so if it works i'm going to use it Uh, a mate of mine who um he runs a reticle i won't say particularly which one but it's it's one from a fairly major brand i think they've discontinued it but it was quite a um an unusual looking reticle with lines and circles and stuff sort of everywhere without a a super clear crosshair in the center and um I tell you what, everyone sort of looks at that reticle and goes, mate, that, that makes no sense. And he um, yeah. spent the time with it to make it work and he could hum, you know, hum with it. It was, it was sensational, but he took him a long time to get to that point. Once he got there, he was all over it. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, one other thing I was going to mention about the, um, the Tremor and the, uh, the H59 uh, that a lot of people kind of discount because they don't um, or they're not aware of the other uses for it. But basically, you'll see in the H59 and the Tremor 3, there's, there's kind of like a staircase formula uh, in the top of it. It looks like a bunch of stairs um, straight over the, the horizontal stadia. Yes. And that's the accuracy-first uh, speed-tuning formula that was developed by Todd Hodnett. And basically, uh, well, the most simple way to explain it is uh, it works with a 12-inch plate um, and essentially whatever... Um, stair it fits under yep. you look at the number that's directly below the stair halve it and that's how many mils you hold uh for a 308 yeah, and right. uh the cool thing with that is when you're out hunting you'll find that a lot of the time from uh the bottom of a pig's belly to the top of his back is yep. pretty close to 12 inches yep. uh so you can make a super <coughs> fast shot on a pig without actually knowing what distance is at yeah, nice. Um, which, yeah, and we've tried it a few times and it works. Um, yeah, so I, uh, I hit one the other day at the farm at uh, 435 metres and uh, never had to do anything else with it. It's, um, yeah, apart from obviously taking into uh, the very slight wind that was there, yep, uh, taking that into account, it was, yeah, a super fast way to go about it. Yeah, nice. Nice, I guess, what? Well, yes, yeah, same thing. If you get to know it, you, you can make it work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and the Tremor like... 2 still has that formula built in, by the way. Uh, okay. But it's just built in down uh, the stadia rather than across the top of the reticle, which some people find faster as well, but it's uh, it's a little bit less obvious uh, when you look at the reticle for the first time. Yep. Yeah, okay. Um, what uh, what guns or what calibers are you running? Um, at the moment, uh, the caliber I'm shooting by far the most of is my three oh eight. Yep. Um, I've got a well. I've got a couple of three hundred eights. Um, my favourite calibre by far is um, is three thirty eight uh, Lapua. Um, yep. But yeah, I shoot shoot everything from uh, from two to threes uh, through to the three thirty eights. Um, but yeah, they're most of the time behind the three hundred eight at the moment. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And what gun is that? If you can say. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the one of them is a one in ten twist uh, twenty barrel. Remington 700 that's been cleaned up and, and bedded and, and shoots really well. And yep. uh, my newest built one is a Surgeon uh, with a 1 in 8 twist 20-inch barrel 
and a, uh, a KRG, one of the Whiskey 3 stocks on it. Yeah, um, nice. Yep. Which which I love because they're super adjustable and I, I run one of those on my 338 as well just to keep the you know the, the kind of muscle memory the same. And, they're, pretty, uh, uh, they're pretty light, aren't they? Um, honestly, I, I wouldn't say they're much lighter than, you know, like an Accuracy International chassis or something like that. But okay. I just find the adjustability with them is second to none. Uh, you know, like having the, the recoil pad height adjustment, um, length yeah. of pull adjustment, obviously cheek piece adjustment. But also um, one that a lot of people aren't aware of is the, uh, the hand grip or the pistol grip. You can change the panels out to a larger size grip. And the okay. cool thing about that is if you're the type of person that likes to shoot with your thumb in kind of like the thumbs up position yep. uh, instead of wrapping around the pistol grip, which is what I like to do, yep. um, you've got a real nice um, kind of thumb ramp uh, to, put your, to put your hand there. And, um, yeah, I just find them really comfortable and um, I can shoot really consistently with them. So, yeah, I like yeah, them. Yeah, nice. Uh, hey, if it, if it works, mate, you can't complain about it, hey? Yep, Exactly. No, and if you're, if you're keeping it the same across a, du- a couple of different guns, it certainly makes it easier to transition. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, one of the other things we're doing with the uh, with the whiskey chassis is um, we're mounting right in front of the magazine on the forend um, <laughs> a tiny little piece of uh, plastic Picatinny rail, one of those um, yeah. like Magpul MOE jobs. And uh, I've got a LaRue adapter that sits in my tripod head, uh, which Danny from Delta Tactical sourced for me. And uh, yep. basically it's a um, it's an upside-down LaRue scope mount uh, yep. and it fits perfectly into the uh, QD plate on your tripod. So instead of having like a hog saddle style um, uh, clamp for your forehand, uh, it's just running on the, um, you know, this LaRue uh set up and uh yeah i found it really consistent and it means that you know both the rifles kind of mount in the same spot you know whether it's a 338 or a 308 or, or whatever yeah, and it's consistent. Uh, the gun basically it, it can't fall out either which is cool that's always significantly helpful i'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> yeah. ask you a little bit more Absolutely. about the uh, the tripod shooting but i just want to come back to your 308 you were talking yeah. about um yeah running a few 20 inch barrels you keen on the shorter barrel yeah Massively keen on the shorter barrels. Yeah, um, I uh, I'm running. Honestly, it, it's because I listen to everything Todd Hodnett has to say. <laughs> but, <laughs> I sort of uh, picked that up. Yeah, yeah. Just just running the uh, quite a heavy profile twenty inch barrel. Um, yep. And, and more than anything, just out of curiosity, just seeing what you could do with it. Um, and the first one in ten uh, twist that I had in the Remington that I have in the Remington, uh, we were shooting to a mile and, um, finding it pretty consistent and that's a factory barrel. Um, and then yep. going to the, uh, the surgeon with the one in eight and we're just pushing some fairly heavy pills out of it, um, at a reasonable velocity as well. Um, and yeah, it's just after I betted it the other day, uh, the thing is, is super accurate. It's so much more accurate than I am, but, uh, it, it'll shoot a quarter minute any day of the week if you do the right thing behind it. So. Um, yeah, nice. Yeah, I like the idea of the 20-inch barrels and a little bit shorter and stiffer. Um, yep. And I, I honestly don't think I'm losing that much. Um, I've run the numbers with the uh, with the projectiles that I'm using and increasing the velocity to a, a, approximately what a 24-inch barrel would give you or a 26-inch barrel. And most of the time, uh, your wind hold 
for the same distance stays the same. It's just that your uh, trajectory is a little bit flatter. Yeah. But to me, it doesn't matter, especially using a Horace reticle or a, you know, a tremor or whatever. Uh, it doesn't matter how much elevation I need to hold, um, yeah. as long as I'm not getting blown around more by the wind, and uh, or, or putting myself at a disadvantage because my wind deflection is now twice as much. Yeah, certainly. which it's not. So um, I, I can't really see a reason not to not to try the twenty inch and have a bit of fun with it. Yeah, cool. What, what weight uh, projectiles you're running the one in eight? One in eight. Uh, I started off with the one seventy eight grain Hornady Amax. Yes. Uh, which is awesome, but I found some kind of inconsistent results uh, when we were getting out past 1,000 with them. And uh, I've just recently switched to the uh, Berger 185 grain hybrid OTMs. Yep. And um, they're still over 2,600 feet per second out of that barrel, and the the wind deflection is amazing with those. They are yeah, twice nice. as good as the Amex. They're awesome, yeah. So... Um, haven't uh, haven't had a chance to push them right out to distance yet, but if they're anything like the 175 OTMs, which is what I was shooting out of my Remington, which we were pushing out to a little bit past a mile, uh, they performed amazingly well. So hoping yeah, to get sweet. just a little bit better wind deflection with the 185s. Mate, you, you can't complain about that. That's sounding, uh, sounding excellent. I can complain about one thing. They're super expensive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but- also twice as much as the Amax. But um, what isn't these days in terms of the long-range yeah. shooting world, really? Yeah, true. I figure they're worth it. Um, if yeah. you're uh, getting better results, then you know, it's making everything come together. It's, no, it's worth no, it to me. No point spending all that money on a surge in action and then uh, then putting pretty uh, cheap average pills that aren't performing for you. Yeah, albeit the uh, the most uh, defective component is the uh, the person behind the gun. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, you've got the same problem anyway. as me then. Yeah. <laughs> I think we all do. Speaking of um, shooting off of tripods like you were before, um, yeah. t- how long have you been doing that for? And, and sort of tell us about, because it's certainly starting to become a popular thing here in, in Australia. Yeah, I guess um, really only the last couple of years I've been starting to try it out. Um, I got I got a tripod actually initially for my spotting scope. Uh, I've got one of the um, the Bushnell first focal plane spotting scopes with a also with a Horace reticle in it surprise surprise and um (laughs) i decided to uh give it a once i picked up the ARG chassis to uh to try the rifle out of it and um yeah just been kind of hunting around on youtube and all those other you know amazing resources and uh finding some techniques and yeah uh the most common position i guess is is probably uh sitting with um utilizing as much support as you can but we've been trying some kneeling um but uh one of the uh one of the techniques that's really stood out to me recently which is um a technique that i found on youtube with some canadian guys i think they're they are actually um special forces shooters and um they basically tied they had a they had a um one of those apo ashbury rifles uh with a, a kind of tubular forend on it and oh yes yeah I know that they one. tied a piece of rope yeah they tied a piece of rope around the forend uh, yep. and ran it down straight underneath the tripod and then what he did was kind of put a loop in it uh like just like a little hitch type loop in it that he put around his foot yeah and then uh followed through with the rope on a carabiner to the buttstock just underneath the buttstock somewhere Okay. And what he actually yeah. did when he got the rifle kind of leveled out and in position, 
with the loop that was around his foot, he just kind of pressed it down like an accelerator pedal on a car. And you could yep. see it just talk this rifle straight into position and just hold it super steady. And he was showing he could let go of it and, and tap the rifle around and it hardly moved. And I just thought that was an awesome technique. Um, and so, yeah, yeah we've good. kind of modified it to work with our sling swivel studs. Uh, we've yep. got the, the flush cut studs that go in the uh, in the front and the rear of the, the KRGs and, and we've been doing that. But one thing that he did uh, that I found really cool was to actually run the the rope all the way under the tripod, go around his foot, but then most importantly go to the back of the gun. Go back because up, Because yeah. when you put it to the back of the gun, it actually levels everything out and talks it down rather than trying to pull the recoil pad out of your shoulder. Yep. Which I thought, um, yeah, was really cool. And, yeah, so we've tried it plenty since then. And, um, yeah, it's a really cool technique. It works super well. Yeah, nice. What, what tripod are you running? Um, it's, a, uh, it's a Manfrotto... Uh, tripod that I bought off eBay. It's just like a, a fairly cheap aluminium one. Um, I'm not okay. exactly sure what the model is, but it only cost me like 150 bucks or something. Yeah. Um, right. But then I just recently switched the ball head out. So what I had before was one of the, um, it, it's called a 322 RC or something like that. And it's like, it, it has uh, an extended grip yep. off the side of it, um, which is the go with the spotting scope. but That's what I, I run those for the spotting scopes. Yeah. Yeah, but what I've actually found now is I switched to this new ball head the other day, which um, it's called – I'm actually looking at it now. It's called an MHX Pro, uh, and it uh, it has a ball head, but it doesn't have the handle. Um, it's, it's just like a, a ball head that you can set the tension on, and you can just move the gun around to all axes uh, without um, – like pressing the lever in and yeah okay the thing that i found that's cool about that is you can kind of get it onto target and hold it there a lot more easily but the okay. other thing is i kind of like to have my hand almost under the forend rather than hanging off the pistol grip i find that i get a little bit more stability that way yep so yeah i've been running that new um that new ball head since then um the cool thing about that is it uh traverses or or pans without affecting any of the other um it, it does it independently to the rest of the movement so gotcha. you can yeah. pan the gun across uh without yeah. changing the cant on your on your scope or anything like that so yeah i, I find this one's working pretty well yeah nice mate it's it's always good to hear i, I just spent about nine months before i actually bought a tripod the other day um yeah and just i find them a i've found them a confusing things to to buy because you you go well i don't really know what it feels like solid um so i just have to guess yeah um, they're kind of deceiving they are yeah you, you look at it and you go that they're, looks tough i'll buy that and then you try it and you go it's not that great yeah they're um i was actually surprised by how much stability the tripod was lacking when i first set it up to be honest i um i thought it was going to be like absolutely rock solid but yeah really uh unless you kind of um start utilizing slings and uh and you know support you know especially for your elbows if you're hanging your arms out in space um or your or your legs are unsupported or anything like that it, it's not necessarily uh as stable as what you'd think but once you learn to to use what's around you to uh i guess to to kind of tighten it all up then that's when they start to uh to come into their own yeah nice it's um 
it's an exciting, exciting way of doing things. Really, I, I'm looking forward to sort of yeah. spending more time behind one. We've got um, one of our students through Impact Dynamics has uh, recently um, been given the word by his uh, doctor that he cannot shoot prone anymore. Um, right. And so he got himself a, a hog saddle, and he's you know really sort of trying a lot of different things to to give himself good stability while not annoying his doctor and making his condition worse. Yeah. So he's um yeah, yeah. He's, he's he was actually shooting standing the other day and doing really well out to about eight hundred meters. Um, yeah, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, so he's he's cer- certainly um certainly making it work. Um. But I guess that's that's just going to come with time and practice. Yeah, we actually that just reminded me of the standing uh, position. We actually have uh, these products at work. It's it's a Primos product. Uh, it's called yes. a it's called a Jim Jim Shockey uh, tripod. Some American fella that uh, branded his own uh, model of tripod, and it's basically it's got a trigger on it, and it. Uh, you know, a quick height adjusts all three legs in one go just by pressing this trigger and it's got a yoke on the top that you can remove and fit a spotting scope if you want. But yep. uh, what I've been doing is using the yoke and uh, putting it underneath the rear of the rifle just to try that. So having like a double tripod gotcha. setup, you know, just to yep. around with stability. Um, for sure, you're not going to uh, be carrying that around if you go hunting. I, I can't imagine carrying two tripods, let alone one. <laughs> but yep. the stability... Uh, with having the other tripod underneath the rear of the rifle. And the cool thing is you can kind of just cinch it up a little so it puts a bit of tension on it without, um, you know, without messing all your hold up. Yep. Uh, it, it made it made it super steady. Uh, it, it's almost like shooting off a bench then. Um, yeah, you're, so, you're yeah. not the first person I've heard of doing that behind, and they said the same yep. thing. They said it's, it's far more stable using it. Like, they, I think they were even yep. running a single shooting stick at the back. Yeah, and they just said as soon as they put on that, it just it became pretty rock solid. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, nice. I'm just having a look at these uh, these Jim Shockey tripods. They, yeah, I can see what you're saying. How they would work well and be fairly quick as well. Yeah, yeah, they're cool. The, the good thing about the Jim Shockey ones is you can um, you can use them with the Manfrotto tripods. They have the boom that comes down the center, which is um, you know more used for the the camera stuff, but to get the extra height. So yeah. Um, if you're trying to get the tripod down super low, um, sometimes you're limited by the boom and then you've got to switch the boom upside down and then you can shorten it. Um, yeah. But that's kind of a bit too hard, whereas with the uh, that particular tripod that I'm talking about, uh, you can get it to you know only a few centimetres off the ground Yeah, nice. and, uh, and then come all the way up to, I think it's like 64 inches or something. So, the, yeah, yeah okay. good fun. Yeah, nice. Excellent, mate. And um, back on back on to work. I was going to ask you about um, some stuff that you told me that there's some new Bushnell products relevant to the long range world that might be worth uh, mentioning. Yeah, definitely. So uh, probably uh, six or seven years ago, Bushnell released their first 34 mil kind of long range scope. It was called a DMR, and yep. Uh, it still is, and the uh, HDMR, which was the Horace uh, H59 and the Tremor 2 uh, reticle variants, and just recently, I actually received them just the other week, uh, they've released the HDMR2 um, and the DMR2, and basically, a uh, couple of improvements, um, one I really like about it, they're running uh, 10 mils per rev on the turrets now, so 30 mils in total elevation, which is a fair whack. 
Yeah, it's good. Um, but uh, 10 mils per rev on the turrets. But the turrets aesthetically, the profile of the turrets is like half what they used to be. They're, they're so much less chunky and it looks a lot better. But they've also changed the zero stop out in the elevation turret as well. So the elevation turret is no longer a locking turret, but it has a zero stop that's very similar in function to a, to a night force style uh, zero stop, basically a, a clutch type plate that you release a couple of grab screws and, and set it down against the, the plate underneath it. And that's your zero stop yeah. uh, works, works in a, a pretty similar way. It's, it's equally as easy to use. Um, so they, they removed the locking uh, turret for elevation, but they have put a locking turret on the windage, which I think is really cool, uh, especially yeah, nice. if you're using the, the, the gridded reticles that uh, don't really require you to dial for wind. Um, so we, when you say and, locking uh, turret, Damo, sorry, yeah, but you, that's the one where you have to pull up to adjust? Yeah, correct. Sorry. So, yeah, yeah the, the locking turrets, you if you, you pull the turret up first, and, um, and then you can adjust it. And then once you've got your adjustment, you can lock it back down. Uh, very similar to the way the, the new Vortex Razor HD works. Yeah. Um, but just a little bit more travel in the turret when you, when you pop it up. Yep. Um, yeah, but, uh, with the scopes, the DMR, which is the, uh, the G3 reticle version. So the G3 is the, the new, uh, variant on the G2 reticle. Yes. Okay. Uh, yep. It's, Aesthetically, uh, looks pretty much the same, but they have done an illuminated version this time. So that's oh, right. apparently so- a thing that uh, lots of people have been asking for in the States for illuminated reticles. And, uh, yeah. yeah, so the new DMR is available with an illuminated uh, reticle if you, if you want, but otherwise you don't have to get it. And the illumination uh, switch or, or dial uh, is just an extension of the, uh, the parallax turret or the side focus. So. Nice. Yeah, it's and, and compact. To clarify on that zero stop, because I know that the um, the XRS and the ERS zero stops have perhaps caused some frustration for some people. Um, yeah, I mean, they we get it a lot. The we've had a couple of scopes sent back. Uh, I'm pleased to say, by the way, we've actually never had uh, one XRS or ERS scope come back that was actually faulty. Yeah, um, and we've sold a lot of them, but. Yep. Uh, one thing that we have found is the zero stop uh, instructions tend to be a little confusing. Yep. <laughs> and uh, because I've been running the, the gridded reticles, I've actually never uh, set the zero stop in any of mine uh, because I just right. kind of zero the gun and then that's it. I really never touched the turret again. Okay. But yep. recently I tried setting the zero stop and I can see why people are having trouble with it because it's super confusing uh, when you read the instructions and when they start talking about turning turrets clockwise and anti-clockwise and, yeah, but it depends which way you're looking at the scope. So I can certainly understand that. But what yep. happens if you set the elevation, uh, sorry, the zero stop incorrectly is that you actually lock out the elevation travel going up. Yes. So yep. that's less than ideal. Uh, but yeah, with all of them, it's a pretty easy, uh, process to reset it. Yeah. They're maybe a little bit more cumbersome than they need to be, but yeah, see, the, I, I, I agree new... with you. It's, it's the instructions that were the problem that the zero stop, once you work yeah. out how to use it, I thought was, was fine, was, you know, did the job, no yeah, dramas. Yeah. It they was easy to reset. Once they're set. Yeah, yeah. But it just, just to get your head around how to do that perhaps took a little longer. Are you saying that the ones yeah. in the DMR2 are a little different? 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, the, nice. the the DMR to zero stop is actually there's another scope that Bushnell do called an LRHS, which is a, a long range yep. hunting scope. Um, they do a three to twelve and a four and a half to eighteen. Yes, and yep. it's the exact same zero stop that they use. So uh, essentially, it it's extremely similar to a night force style zero stop. Yep. Um, and uh, just so much easier to uh, to set, but you lose the locking uh, function on the elevation turret. Yeah, which I'm not sure is necessarily a terrible thing either. No, uh, no. I don't mind just being out of dial straight. Yep. Yeah, nice. Very good. And was there another product, or is that, that was the two products, the HDMR and the DMR? Yeah, that's the uh, the main two. Uh, at the moment that we've got, uh, and so just to clarify, they're the, the three and a half to twenty one by fifties. I haven't had any news on whether they're doing anything with a an, an XRS uh, and an ERS models. I, I'm not sure yet. But no. the one other scope that they are bringing out, uh, which should be available sometime next year, is the um, it's called an LRTS, which is basically a variant of the LRHS. Um, it's a tactical version, so it doesn't have a capped windage turret like the LRHS does. Okay, um, yep. And uh, they're doing a 4.5 to 18 uh, in flat dark earth and, and black versions with the new G3 reticle instead of the uh, the G2H reticle, which was the hunting version of the, the old G2 reticle. So, okay. yeah, yep. just a, a slightly modified reticle and, um, you know, some slightly different functions. Uh, and they're, they're also coming with an illumination uh, option. Ah, uh, nice. Yeah, that, mm. I know a few guys who have been keen on it, but sort of been put off by illumination because they were going to use it for spotlighting. So that's yeah, uh, that's a good move. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And the the illumination on the uh, on the uh, DMR two that I've tried it, it's pretty sharp. It's it's pretty good for for the price that that scope's going to be. I'm predicting it's going to be coming, uh, you know, through the gun shops. It's it's a pretty unbeatable package. I think the thing that um, a lot of people uh, don't realise is that those scopes really are a genuine, um, you know, a proper heavy-duty scope. They're not. Uh, they're not like a, you know, a five or six hundred dollar hunting scope. They are. A yeah. lot of the military guys all over the world use them, and um, they're they're super tough. Um, you know, you, they might not have the resolution of a of a Schmidt and Bender or a, a Premier or a Tangent, uh, but you know value for money. I I honestly believe they're they're pretty much unbeatable. Yeah, well they're they're not in the same dollar sort of bracket for those as no, well either. Probably not even in half the dollar bracket. <laughs> no, so you got to yeah if you're going to save a bit of money, you're going to get a um a, a good quality scope to to work well for long yeah. range shooting, but you're going to have to sacrifice something. Yeah, and also um, they still retain the same the same warranty as all the the XRS and and all the older um, or all, all, all the current models. Um, they yeah, an unconditional lifetime warranty. So. Yeah, which is uh, very reassuring if you're going to spend you know well whatever price they're going to be, but in the you know thousand plus market, yeah. um, anything beyond that, you really want to make sure you're going to get looked after for a long time. Absolutely. Yeah, which is good, mate. And so, what? Um, where did your interest in shooting come from prior to all this going on? Where did it stem from? Yeah, so I was uh, really fortunate with my uh, with my granddad when I was really young. Uh, 
my granddad's been into shooting his whole life, and I was uh, I was lucky enough to uh, to get introduced to it at uh, at a super young age, and yep. I've just been hooked ever since. Uh, my granddad uh, at the time he got me uh, my foot. Well, he you know kind of he owned it, but uh, got me my first rifle, uh, which was a I think it was a Winchester twenty two, and at the time. I'm 29 now, and uh, at the at the time he got it for me, it was already a hundred plus years old, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it was uh, probably about yeah. the same height as me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it all kind of stemmed from there. And um, he used to take me to uh, uh, to a place in the Blue Mountains in New South Wales to uh, to go shoot some rabbits and whatnot. And uh, yeah, it's just I've absolutely loved it since then. And you know, in the last maybe uh, six, seven eight years thereabouts have, have really gotten into my long range shooting. Um, yeah, brilliant. And yeah, just find it kind of a, a refreshing, uh, you know, aspect and, uh, you know, something that involves a bit of science as well, which is, which is pretty cool. There's a lot more to it than just squeezing the trigger. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do you do any other sort of styles of shooting? Obviously you do some hunting. Yeah. Yeah. I do a bit of hunting. Um, I've been lucky enough. My granddad's got a, a little cottage at, uh, a farm we've been going to for the last 20 years at uh at Gunnedah and um yeah go up there there's uh there's plenty of pigs and and foxes and goats and all that kind of stuff around so we're very fortunate and uh yeah absolutely love it and um you know that's where I do most of my long range shooting as well apart from uh on the weekends at the at the shooting range but uh yeah we've got a good variety out there and lots of spotlighting and and lots of riding around on quad bikes and and all that kind of stuff so it's good fun yeah, brilliant, mate. You always got to have somewhere you can get out and, and run amok. Yeah, absolutely. You don't realise how lucky you are. Yeah, it's certainly, uh, certainly appreciated. And if you, do you get up there often? Do you get out for a shoot fairly regularly? or? Yeah, fairly frequently, yeah. Um, we've uh, we've actually had an awful lot of rain up there recently. So um, actually a spring broke out underneath one of the roads uh, and uh, and took out half the road. So so. <laughs> Basically, the property's undrivable at the moment. We were planning on uh, on going up a couple of weeks ago, but it got rained out. But uh, fortunately, a, a couple of weeks before that, we were able to go up and, and get a whole bunch of pigs and lots and lots of foxes, which was really satisfying. And, uh, yeah, just looking forward to getting back up there again before all the snakes come out for summer. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you got to time it pretty well to actually get there. Yeah, absolutely, at the moment, yeah, with all the rain. But, uh, you know, uh, a well, even six months beforehand, they were in total drought and uh, hadn't had any decent rain for a couple of years. So it's just the yeah. way things go. Crazy, isn't it? Right, right now as we're as we're talking, it is bucketing down over here uh, in Adelaide, and uh, mm. you know the power was out all day yesterday. So um, yeah, that was well, not quite all day, but felt like it. Um, <laughs> anyway, so it was uh, that was good fun, and I'm I'm really hoping that we can complete the interview and uh, don't lose it due to the power dropping out. Anyway, I'm yeah, probably jinxed it now. <laughs> no, awesome, mate. Awesome. And uh, have you had any uh, any good shooting stories recently that are of, of note? Um, yeah, well, uh, actually, went up to the farm. Uh, it probably would have been about a month ago now, maybe a little bit over. And uh, mate and I uh, welded up some some target frames uh, out of some uh, out of some stainless steel. Some really uh, some simple style frames. They they kind of look like an X shape. And yep. uh, he works at a, a steel fabrication place and uh, he had a whole bunch of uh, plates that we were able to hang off those frames. Uh, so we nice. had some um, some 290mm plates, which I was, I was trying to get to exactly 
300 mil, so that worked perfectly with the uh, speed shooting formula in my reticle. But yeah. uh, we ended up hanging them way out past 600 metres. We, uh, we hung some plates at 877 metres, uh, 1,054, 1,396, and 1,575. And if you're yeah. wondering why the distances are really random, it's because from the spot that we could shoot from, that's kind of like the next hill across uh, to yeah, where you gotcha. can get a, a safe shot away. And, yep. uh, yeah, we just built a bit of a range card up there and, and had some, yeah, some, some really satisfying times, actually. He was, uh, one of my mates was pushing a, uh, 87 grain Hornady VMAX out to 1,054 with a, uh, 243, which was pretty impressive. Uh, just out of a factory barreled little Howard 243. Um, Mate, I, I was amazed I even went that far. Yeah, those, those little 87 grainers are, are an amazing little beast for and some reason. Dev- devastating on uh, on pigs and foxes well greg uh greg when we we're up in the flinders used those projectiles in his uh, fairly standard um oh now i've forgotten what bsa that was the gun bsa 243 so right. it's you know it's been around for a little while and uh mate he, he dropped to go to 775 with those yeah, things that's amazing they, they perform don't they they do yeah they've, they've got an unusually high bc uh mm. for the for the size of them so yeah they're a great projectile but yeah, we uh, we were running the uh, the two four three and uh, the three oh eight um, out to those distances, and yeah, what we uh, what we did, I I just gone and uh, and re-zeroed my scope, so we went and um, did some uh, some truing on the on the targets, and it turns out that a yeah. thousand uh, and a um, thousand and fifty four is a is a perfect distance to true for for that particular round it on that particular day. So we're um, nice. Yeah, getting plenty of useful data. It was really good. Yeah, awesome, mate. It's uh, always good to have a, a good session out. Good and uh, when you've got multiple distances and be smacking sort of front and back, it's a good feeling. Good times out. Nothing better, really. Absolutely. Yeah, brilliant. All right, Damo. Well, thanks heaps for your time. That's uh, been wonderful to chat to you. Um, yeah, and thanks, Rusty. Get, yeah, appreciate yeah, it a lot. Get your get, uh, get your um your take on a few things, and um. I look forward to uh, to having a look at those um, uh, DMR and HDMR2 scopes. Yeah, man. Are they, I'd love to get them out to you. Yeah, they're going to be um, – you guys going to be over at Perth Shot Expo at all? Um, I'm not. Uh, no? I know, uh, I know one, of the, one of the fellas from our company is uh, one of the WA guys. Ah, uh, cool. But uh, yep. I'm not going to be. But I don't think those scopes are going to be there yet. We've only got the first two samples. Oh, okay. Uh, we're probably right. not looking at – uh, getting any kind of reasonable stock um, or, or Bushnell going into production until, um, yeah, probably kind of end of the first quarter next year. Okay, so we, we might see so, him for Melbourne Shot Expo next year in May. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, that'd be yeah, good. But, uh, nice. yeah, I should have mentioned those scopes are, they're actually a, still a, not a prototype, but they're, still they're certainly days. one of the first, yeah. Yep. Oh well, that's cool. Would yeah. we'll be uh, good to know about them, and uh, obviously see how they uh, how the information comes through. Yeah, man, definitely. Brilliant. All right, mate. Well, uh, we're going to um, finish up there. Thank you heaps for your time, and uh, we'll see if we can get over to Sydney sometime and uh, have a shoot with you and get those three Thanks. three three eights running. Absolutely, yeah. Thanks again, Rusty. Appreciate it, mate. All right, mate. Too easy. Thanks. Uh, thanks to everyone listening and Damo for his time. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast. 
continue the discussion, check out our Facebook page. And for more information, head to our website, www.precisionshootingpodcast.com.au. This episode was brought to you by Impact Dynamics, advanced training for the precision shooter.